Welcome to the Talking Bollocks podcast. TB or not TB, you decide. Hi everybody, I am Benjamin, the UK's most hated sales trainer, and this is another episode of Talking Bollocks. TB or not TB, you decide. So as you know, the purpose of this podcast isn't to interview the great and the good, the sales leaders or the gurus or the experts or the people that have got a position or a book or a program that they want to plug on you. This is about ordinary sales folks, guys like you and me, gals like you and me that are in the trenches every day. And they have at some point been absolutely crap at what they do. And they're surrounded by other people that are crap at what they do. And they get phoned up by people that are crap at what they do. We're going to discuss these types of salespeople, this person's experience, how they identified they were a crap salesman, what they've done to change, and some of the pitfalls and challenges. Because like I say, we love listening to other people's misery. We love other people's failure because it makes us feel good. So today's guest is all the way from Canada, that socialist paradise just north of the United States of America. And he, he's someone I met, must be a couple of years ago, maybe now. It's in the, the two-year, 18-month, two-year range bracket. Um, he sells insurance, so don't tune out now. I know you hear that insurance <laughs> salesman, but this is good. These are the sorts of people we want to be listening to. So I'm going to let him introduce himself, but he's a great guy for a Canadian. And I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to hand it over to you. Kevin, introduce yourself. Only as you could do, Benjamin, totally off script. Well, first of all, you know, Canada, we don't talk exactly the same language that you do. So bollocks, you bollocks. know, the emphasis on the B, bollocks. When you look at our dictionary, I just want to make sure I'm on the right show. It either means testicles or it means nonsense or rubbish. So I want to make sure I'm on the right show because I don't really want to talk to you about testicles. Oh, I think we're on the wrong show. Ah, so you want, then I'm sure you will enjoy a half hour talking about testicles. I'm sure you'll be able to figure it out. Though. You'll be able to juggle this one. I've got the balls to do it. <laughs> Anyways, it is a whole new language uh, with Benjamin. We've known each other. It's probably a year, but to Benjamin, it feels like two years. So I appreciate that, Benjamin. Um, so I'm in from a little province in Canada called Newfoundland. Um, my mom was a medical secretary. There was two brothers and a sister. She hoped somebody would go to medical school because she was surrounded by doctors and wealth. And of course, I struggled my way through business school. I got through it. Um, she didn't disown me, but then it got really bad because my first job was, of course, how we all stumbled into it, sales. But it was a good sales job because I actually went to work with a beer company, one of the largest in Canada called Labatt. And when you do that, you realize two things. One, you get treated like royalty. You get treated like the prime minister because you're in the beer business. And two, you don't really know how to sell. All you do is take orders. It's the easiest thing in the world. So I started out as an order taker. My dad was happy because I had beer. Uh, then we got bought out like all big companies did. And at 31 years old, with my wife expecting, I got six months severance. So I got six months severance to figure it out. Then you learn to sell better. Not great, 
but you learn to go from a product pusher to actually a problem finder. So it got a little bit better. My habits were primitive, but we got through it. I did this for like 16 years. We started an agency called the Idea Factory. I had a blast. Then in 2016, I get this tap on the shoulder from one of my biggest clients who owns an insurance brokerage. And he said, not exactly using the words, Benjamin, that we've used order takers, but he said, man, I got no sales culture. These guys just take orders all day. I mean, it's like McDonald's, but higher paid. And I had to confess to him, I'd love to consider it, but I've never read my insurance policy. Now, at this point, Benjamin, I've owned a business, yeah. a $5 million business for 16 years, and I've never read my insurance policy. And I don't think it's that different. Have you read your cell phone policy? Probably not. Because we got bigger things to do. We got to get cash. We got to go after cash flow. We got to figure out how to fire the next employee. Where's the next project coming from? So I thought he would go away. And he still said, I've got 51 people that know insurance. We need to create a sales culture. You're our guy. We went back and forth. 2016, I find myself as a shareholder and an owner of a brokerage that doesn't know how to sell, just like every other brokerage out there, or most of them. And it was the best cliff I ever jumped off in my life. And then I landed in a place called Mars, because that's what it felt like on day one when I opened my eyes and I saw a whole ton of unusual things. So that's my story. Wow. Wow. That's what I love about North Americans. You ask one question, introduce yourself, and you open the floodgates. I was just, just wanting your name and company. But hey, oh, hey. But at least not like a Canadian, I didn't say I'm sorry. <laughs> I knew that coming in. That's absolutely brilliant. So tell me this, Sid. Like you said, you fell into sales. So why have you stayed in it? Because, you know, most, most salesmen stay in it because they're stuck in a rut. You know what a rut is? It's a coffin with the ends kicked out. Yeah. So yeah. They, they, they died a long time ago and they realized oh, after three years, I got no transferable skills. This is it. So why are you still here? What, what, what gets you it's up? Kind of, um, you know, sales is like Hotel California a little bit, right? You can check in, but you never check out. <laughs> and um, as much as you're exhausted and you're abused and you're used, and, uh, you know, Benjamin, when you walked me through for the first time, uh, the whole buyer-seller matrix, it was like a eureka moment when I realized this is why I'm so exhausted, so battered, and so bruised, is because we trust people. And we want to look smart because our mother wanted us to go to medical school or we felt like we disappointed people. Yeah. And that makes you more needy. Then you need to look really smart. Then you wear a pair of shoes you can barely afford and you get a suit you can barely afford. And before you know it, you're 15 years in. And as you say, it's the same year over and over for 15 years. It's Groundhog Day, it except is. Bill Murray's not next to you and you're not making money. <laughs> so you're, you're, you're in insurance, right? So you're, 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 you're almost the stereotype that people think of whenever you think of it. It's that or used car salesman. You know, they think of you in your category. So you must have some amazing stories. So can you think of the worst sales experience you had selling insurance? One of the worst moments in your life where it was just absolutely awful. Yeah, I mean, everyone's going to relate to this because if you don't admit it, you're lying. 
So I will tell you, it took me the last 10 years to actually find the dignity to sell properly. But my worst sales experience is no different than any other salesman. So you look for all the happy signs. I mean, salesmen have the greatest ears, not for listening, but for hearing all the good things. So, you know, uh, we don't listen our way into losing a deal. We talk our way into losing a deal. Correct. Yeah. So we had this client that was referred to us. Um, they told us they were in pain. They weren't happy with the other broker. They all say that. Or they say, you know, they're okay. No one's really happy. We're not Disney World. We're not like cast of characters. Um, and you kind of believe it as they go through. And they said, I really like that. Could you look at this? And we give more options and more options. And we're back in the office basically celebrating. We've done everything but broke open the champagne. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, after they'd given you everything, we've got this like 80-page $300 proposal on beautiful card stock. I mean, everything but gold plated. And uh, then you wait. Yeah. And then you kind of go, that's ah, okay. He's busy. I understand it. So then you get really needy and you use words of, I'm just following up. I'm just touching base. And, you know, a little part of you dies inside again and you keep doing it again. And you don't really tell anyone about it because I'm new to the game and I'm a shareholder. So I'm supposed to have it all figured out. Yeah. I'm the leader if I can't figure it out, but I'm going down the same rabbit hole and it's missing in action. Another missing in action where you run into them at a restaurant three months later and they're like, oh my God, Kevin, I'm really sorry. I actually meant to get back to you. You were so close. Uh, and you know, <laughs> my boss just didn't want to do it, but I'd love for you to come back next April. And the old Kevin Casey would have went back next April hit the reset button, Groundhog Day all over again. And most people stay in this, Benjamin, because you do make good money. Even being average, you yep. can make a decent living. Yeah. But, but you feel pretty shitty inside. Like, that's just the end. So I got 100 stories like that. So what, what was the moment for you then when you suddenly took stock of yourself, you looked in the mirror and you said, I, 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 I can't keep doing this. I, I got to change. Something's got to give because yes, you're right. I am making money and I'm doing all right. And you know, I'm happy, but this feels wrong the way oh, I'm yeah. doing it. Well, to talk us through that moment or that moments, it could have been a series of things. How did yeah. you get to that point where you said, I've got to change? Well, first of all, if I didn't get it right, that means 21 people who work with me weren't going to get it right. So I'm, kind of going through imposter syndrome wow. of saying at the idea factory, I figured it out what the pain was and people came to me. Now I'm in insurance. No one comes to you in insurance because no one's got a problem. Just like your cell phone, as long as it works, you don't really understand what megabits and megabytes and gigabytes mean. And if someone says, how's your cell phone? I'm just going to go fine. Same with insurance. So I had to take something that was so logical and I was surrounded by logical people. Everything they did made sense, but I couldn't hardly get anyone to meet with us. Even my best clients from my past world said, Kevin, I love you, but man, please don't make us talk about insurance. You're not going to make us do this, are you? And I'll give you a shot, but please, do I have to sit in the meeting? Awesome. So there's no pain. 
So then I had to go back, Benjamin, to me as a business owner for 16 years, and I never looked at my insurance policy. Yeah. And you and I kind of hashed this out a lot. And I took it out of logic and said, how do I get people emotional about something as boring as insurance? And the only way to do it is to tell them what they don't know what's true. And the truth is this. I sat down with five of my biggest clients from my past world that were going to tell me the truth over a beer. And not one of these millionaires, successful business people, knew if they were covered for what they should be covered for. Wow. And you helped me a lot with that one. And the question you would ask is, what's the number one reason why you think insurance companies don't pay out? Yes. My real good friend said, because you're all a bunch of pricks. Yeah. And I said, fair point. There is some of those. But the real reason is because you're not covered for what you thought you were covered for. So let me ask you this. You want to roll the dice or do you want to figure that out? Well done. And that is one way to get emotion. And if they don't want to figure it out, no problem. Because people have problems and you got to figure that out. But not everyone wants to deal with them. So if you're in a miserable marriage, you have a problem. Yeah. If you stay in it, there's nothing a therapist can do or a friend can do because you want to put up with it. So I had to change my way of thinking to say there's 7.8 billion people in the world. Yeah. If someone doesn't want to talk to me about the problem I know they have and they want to say, yeah, I know I'm covered or I hope I'm covered. I would just say, I hope they pay out. Right. So what was it, though, that made you realize you needed to change? So you weren't thinking like this all the time. So what happened? I think it was 16 years of being used and abused and feeling shitty about it and tired and uh, understanding I didn't have the answers and tapping into smart people, uh, disruptive people. I would put you in that category that change the way you think about things. So I had to step outside my world as a broker and yeah. put myself in the shoes of a business person that's busy. Yeah. No wonder they don't want to meet with me. But here's the thing. CEOs and leaders have egos. Yeah. They don't want to be in front of a microphone when some kid from a basement hacked into their company and got 3,000 credit cards and is spending money at every pizza joint in town. Yeah. <laughs> so... They do care about what they're covered for. It's just no one's asking about that because they're all asking logical questions. Yeah. So I get to emotion fast. And I also don't waste time like I did 10 years ago. I just move on. I just keep moving on. And detachment was the single biggest thing uh, I had to do because I was a people pleaser. And yeah. salespeople are, and we're like rescue dogs. And we want to lick your face and make it feel yes. better. Yes, I was one of those guys and uh, I didn't have the courage to do this. Now, I will say, Benjamin, yeah. most of this was like riding a bike. It looks really bad starting off. Yeah, I failed a lot. I had a lot of people laughing at me in the brokerage telling me it can't be done this way. Yeah. Um, and I just kept doing it because this was my last stand. I'm 53. <laughs> I'm not going back to the other world. And I said, I've got nothing to lose now. I'm not going to be out in the street. I'm not going to starve to death. So no. leave your sales career with some dignity. And yeah. I want a dignity more than money. 
So, and you've got that now, I take it. I hope so. Well, it's helped me become detached. I think the amazing thing of yeah. some people I'm really impressed with is when you can become detached at 25 years old, when you do need every sale and yeah. act like you don't need every sale. It's taken yeah. me a long while to get there, but I think detachment, which is the first D here, yeah, little code I've got here. Ah, yes, I was going to get to this. Explain the T-shirt. Well, you know, you and I have bantered a lot. And uh, yeah. one of the things you've taught me that's really helped me is that you don't need to be liked so much to be a good salesperson. So, you know, if you go in for heart surgery tomorrow, which I hope we don't, Benjamin, but we could because we're pretty jacked up guys. Yeah. You don't really care if you like the surgeon. You just want them to know how to do it. Yeah. You want to know, make sure your plumber knows how to do it. Yeah. But for some reason, um, people want to be liked. And I was one of those people. Yeah. I will say this to you. I don't know if you and I would hang out and have a beer together and be best friends. But you know what? You're good at what you do. And I probably would say you stood out more than anyone that I've dealt with because you cut through the horse shit of being a guru. Now, I think you need to get a haircut, but that's just me. It's me too, can't. It's getting longer, look. It's even below the black line on the... Yeah. So stop being liked and actually do a bit of work before you make the call. Like, literally take a bit of a risk. So for me, I'm not always right, but I, I know people with insurance are going through a couple of things. And I just guess at them, and sometimes it works. But here's the thing, uh, which I'm also learning. Today's pattern interrupt is tomorrow's best practice. Everyone's using it. Yeah. So, you know, asking someone, you know, do you want to hang up or give me 30 seconds? Yeah. That was really new when you started it. But after 80,000 views, everyone starts doing the same thing. Yeah. So you've got to keep switching it up. Yeah, I completely so, agree. So, so I hate please. What's the RD stand for? Ah, the second part, which was my biggest kryptonite weakness, was not just disqualification, but ruthless disqualification. Very different. Mm. And here's why ruthless, which is a, I don't know if that's a British word like bollocks, but it's a good word. You'd use bloody, <laughs> bloody disqualification. Yes. Um, it actually means, I, we hear a lot of fake yeses, right? So when yeah. we weren't really, when I came into Caligro, we weren't in the insurance business. We were in the quoting business. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone just quoted. Yeah. So ruthless disqualification means even when they seem like they're saying yes, just challenge it a little bit, not rudely, gently. So when someone says to me, uh, you know, Benjamin, say I was able to get you a better price. Yeah. And really good coverage. What happens next? you shut up yeah like you just zip it yeah. Salespeople are really scared of silence so and then he'll go well you know i'll probably go back to my other broker i guess oh yeah i would do that too so you actually kind of agree with him so like yeah i would do that too uh, benjamin if i were you but what do you think he's gonna say or she's gonna say well i'm not sure you want me to tell you what they're gonna say they're gonna match it and you know what i know you hate deal insurance so I'd probably just take it, wouldn't you? So I couldn't do that 10 years ago. I couldn't do that five years ago. Right. A year but ago. Even when you walk away, I can tell you my team, 
feels really good when we ruthlessly disqualify. Brilliant. That, that's the key. They feel good. They believe I agree, and I can't hammer it home. It's the scariest thing to do, but once you master the concept, it is the most powerful, the most liberating, the most yeah. rewarding experience because the better you get at disqualifying, believe this or not, folks, because it's true, the better you get at disqualifying, the harder it is to get rid of people from buying from you. I cannot tell you the number of companies I say, look, don't use me. There are other ones, and you give them all these reasons and they refuse to listen. And so it's a very, very powerful, ruthlessly disqualify. Get rid of people that can't buy early and focus on the ones that can. No hope in your pipeline. Yeah, if you don't disqualify, you've got hope. And yes. hope is, it's no way to live. Well, I can say we've got a skinnier pipeline than we did when I showed up six years ago, but it's real. It's real. Yes. Real. It's, it's not, not filled. It's not. There's leads and there's lies. Yes. It was lies. And uh, honestly, you know, you feel way better about yourself. Our team is starting to believe it. This is a very hard thing to do. Um, but when you actually not throw shade at the competition. I have never in my six years said anything about another broker. Yeah. But I do get prospects so pissed off that they persuade themselves. And even when I do that, I push back and say, you know, they'll say, well, I never see my broker. I said, well, did you ask him to come in? Well, he's like Santa Claus. He shows up once a year. Okay. But you, no one wants to hang out with us. Like, do you want them to come more than once a year? Well, uh, no. Well, you own a bit of that too. So when you do that, people actually, this is a weird thing. And maybe this is why, you know, a girls that I really liked when I was 16, the more they pushed me away, the more you actually liked them. Yeah. Because it was, it reduces the resistance. Like people are not used to salespeople going for no. no. And when you say something simply as, you know, what would you like to happen next? Yeah. They're waiting for the close. They're waiting for Grant Cardone to jump out and pound you with a fish. fish. Yes. Now it's like shooting hey, fish. Here's fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all I got. So I say it and then people <laughs> kind of, you just go the opposite. Uh, but it takes a long while to do it. It, I was a really slow learner at this, but I can tell you, we have increased our sales, yeah. but more importantly, I've made people believe we can be better versions of ourselves. Brilliant. And I know I'm a better version of myself, even if I wasn't making more money, because now I could let my mom sit in on a sales session and she'd be proud of me. <laughs> she wouldn't be proud of me six years ago. That's brilliant. So, um, What's one piece of advice you would give to anyone starting out in sales now? What's one, 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 one little nugget? If you could say, if you can get this, then you're going to have a much happier life in sales. What would you tell them? Well, I've studied so many courses, whether it's Sandler or spin selling. If you don't start, if you just focus on the IQ of watching videos and reading books, it's not going to happen. I would take it from IQ to I do. Yeah. Do it. Like stop talking about it. Pick something. Fail like you rode a bike and do it. And I'm telling you, people are reading a million books and they go back to the same way they've sold. 
Just yeah. pick one method. For God's sakes, pick one and do something. Yeah, I, 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 it's something I say a lot. It's everyone loves to have a bookcase behind them with all no the books. And they're filled with sales books. And it's like, have you read them? I go, oh, yeah, I've read them. Do you do anything in them? Nothing. Oh, I take little bits here and there. And this is it. You are quite right. If you learned one methodology of selling and did it really well, you'd probably be good. Problem is no one does that, right? So, yeah, get one and just get good at it. So I would agree with that. That's great advice. So, ah, worst sales manager. Have you ever been working under someone? As a sales boy, yeah, tell it. You don't know names, obviously, but can you can you remember the worst sales manager you had or boss, and why were they so bad? And what? Give us an example of what made them yeah. so. I will. I'll actually be able to reveal his name, believe it or not, because the worst sales manager I've ever had yes. is the person that's inside your head. Okay. Person that tells you you can't make that call. They're going to hang up on you. You're going to sound stupid. It's the person that you got a great relationship and you're afraid to ask for a referral. If the sales manager that was inside my skull for all those years ever was reported to HR, they'd be fired. So I'm going to tell you the worst boss, the worst sales manager I had for years was me. Okay. And people got to take accountability. And not blame it on the sales leader, because yeah. if your company's not going to invest in you, invest in yourself. Like, just do it. You're going to make it up really, really fast. But if salespeople don't put skin in the game in two ways, time and their own money, they're not going to do it. Because it's a two days off at a conference. I've been there. You go to the conference. You half listen. You go out partying for two nights. And you come back on Monday and do the same thing. Yeah. Well, well let's let, look at this. Who pays someone to become a professional swimmer or golfer? No one. This is yeah. all done in their own time with their own money, often yeah. borrowing from friends and family. It's not until they make it that all of a sudden people say, oh, I want a piece of this. You know, yeah. I'll give you money if you wear my brand logo. But prior to that, they've had to do it all on their own. Yet for some reason, sales is one of those industries where people think, well, if my boss don't train me, then I ain't getting better. That's like, that's the stupidest mindset. Then why are you in sales? Well, I needed a job. Yeah, yeah. And, and you don't want to get good at it. No. So no, that's no, I completely agree. So Benjamin, think of this in insurance. 95% retention rate, which means 95% of the time, the client does nothing. Yeah. So if you try to attack that logically, your history. And for years, I tried to understand that it was logical. And everything I've ever was trained was logical. I've got a 60-inch TV set downstairs to watch football. That is illogical. Uh, uh, I'm not that great of a chef, but I got a Weber barbecue that cost me $1,200. <laughs> That's not logical. People are not logical. So once you get... Even as it boring as insurance, if you can make it emotional, any product in the world or service can be made emotional. So, but you got to think in advance and you got to put yourself in their shoes and you got to get off the safety net and do it versus studying it. Do it. Yes. Right, folks. We're going to wrap it up there. Um, Kevin, if anyone... And I don't know why anyone would want to contact a man in insurance. But if anyone wanted to contact you 
in the great state of oh no they're not states are they what do you have no we've got provinces provinces that's right in the great province are you which province are you newfoundland and labrador you found oh that's the little island isn't it up yes yeah i know newfoundland yes yeah yeah original name there newfoundland anyway so (laughs) if you need insurance and you want to talk to an insurance guy who's not going to be like all the others how do people get in touch with you kevin well, listen, let me say this, and don't worry about insurance. If someone is caught in that matrix of hell where they're used, abused, and tired, and they had the willingness to up their game, I'm happy to share some stories to save them 15 years of pain and suffering that I went through. They can find me on LinkedIn, Kevin Casey. Um, they can look me up at calagro.com, but I'm not going to try to sell you insurance, but I'd be happy to help you try to level up your game in a category like insurance that's very different so that's how you'll find me and like it's very hey, got the flags i wonder is it how do we do is it at half mass or are we at full mass do you think well canada's definitely after the election result at half mass okay. uh, uh and, and us here in brexit britain we've just nicked a bunch of subs from the french so we're doing very well for ourselves okay okay well listen I feel confident, but I'm detached from the outcome, so I don't really care. No, nor do I. So, look, everybody, that's it. That's another episode of Talking Bollocks. TB or not TB, you decide. It's been a pleasure having you watch this, and feel free to leave your comments. Like, subscribe at Substack, too. If you're not on Substack, that's where a lot of my content's going to be going now, moving away from YouTube and LinkedIn to Substack, to a platform where we can speak a bit more openly and freely without the fear of the sensorati uh, looking over money. And he can make money. Yeah, and I can make money. Yeah, of course. Exactly. Make a bit of money on the side. So anyway, I hope you've enjoyed it. We'll see you all soon on the next episode. You've been a pleasure.